0: Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash athlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about how fast we perform range of motion after rotator cuff repair surgery. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Ryan Show. I am joined by the team of physical therapists at Champion Physical Therapy Performance up in Boston, Massachusetts, still Zooming a little bit, partly because um, of COVID and spreading out, but partly because this is kind of better, right? I you guys think this is kind of a cool way to do the podcast? Super cool. We got a thumbs up from Mike Scuduto. I think that's a good sign. So, but <laughs> anyway, I'm joined by uh, Lenny Macrina, Lisa Russell, Mike Scuduto, Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, everybody here answering your amazing questions as usual. So today we have a really cool question. Well, we always have really cool questions, so we just say that every time. But uh, today from Dominic from Arizona asked this question. Are you ready? I'm trying to get suspenseful with this. Um, How quickly do you progress range of motion with a small to medium rotator cuff tear? Right, then he says, I've been seeing more and more conservative post op protocols compared to what I've seen in the past, and I'm starting to question how quickly to go in restoring range of motion and when to start using things like passive range and active assisted things like pulleys and L bars. So, a couple of questions here, but really, I guess the question is, how fast do we go with that rotator cuff tears? But I also, I mean, maybe we start off with, you know, do we have a period of immobilization and that sort of thing, but you know. I'll talk about the evolution maybe, and then I don't know who wants to jump in, maybe Len with some of his experience over his years too, but like the evolution of rotator cuff repairs in just my career went from open to mini open to arthroscopic, and we've seen this huge progression in technology, right? I guess we'll call that technology. It's it's, it's surgical skill, technology, technique, whatever you want it to be, um, but you can see this progression over time and there was so much less invasiveness with these procedures as we've continued to progress a rotator cuff repair like 20 just 20 years ago like in in the late 90s it it was it was either open or mini open and an open one was big that was a big deal right you had a lot of muscles you were cutting through a lot of you know scarring post-operative a lot of pain those sorts of things we've progressed all the way now to arthroscopic which really has so much less pain. I, I I hate to say minimal, right? Because I don't think that's fair to the people that just had that surgery, right? Like, um, But compared to an open and even a mini open, it's it's much less pain. So I, I'm wondering if what happened evolution-wise is anytime this happens in physical therapy, we tend to think, well, they're doing much better. Maybe we can speed up the range of motion progression. And, and maybe we just regretted that a little bit. So that's a little bit of like the evolution of the cuff repairs and maybe how it progressed. I don't know, Len, you want to maybe kick it off and then you guys think about, you know, anything else in your experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's good. I um, I agree with Mike. I mean, it's been crazy. Even in my career, my career is a little little shorter than Mike's and it's definitely been an evolution of the repairs being a ton better um, just in technique. Um, I mean, the pain with a, even a mini open, the incision was tiny going through like a deltoid split. And now with the scope, the pain is significantly less but not crazy less, but... I think because it's significantly less, um, people want to do more quickly, right? And so I think even like after an ACL, we tried to push people, right? I was getting people back after an ACL four months after their surgery. And then we realized, uh oh, it's not probably the best thing to do because retail rates were high. I think the same thing is happening right now with the rotator cup, where we tried to push the envelope a little and um, maybe retail rates are not where we want them to be but that doesn't mean their function is not going to be good. So we're, we're, at, a, we're at a seesaw battle right now with doctors and therapists um, because the research is saying they're functionally stable and functionally good, but the retail rates can be 50 60 80% after rotator cuff get two years out. And so the doctors are looking to say, well, maybe if we went slow with rehab because some of the research is saying if the patient gets uh, tight, And they begin to scar down which as a pt you know that that's a pain in the butt right if they start to scar down and get stiff that's what the doctors want they want them to scar down and get stiff because that potentially is saying that the cuff is healing really well which means re-tear rates could go down long term and so the doctors want scarring healing we want motion and function and we're at a battle right now so i've done it what does the patient want though Len? right, the patient wants the patient wants their pain to go away. The patient right. wants their life back and function right. back. And that's pain where we kind of like function. <laughs> <Right>.
0: so, <laughs> so, so the, the surgeons <laughs> want low retail rates.
1: They want the low retail rates, but want range right, of right.
0: motion and strength back, right? We're so right. like we're so right. so easy to, to figure out. And the patient right. just wants less pain and more and more functional activity.
1: Yeah, exactly. But the problem is when you scar down and get tight, there's more pain in therapy, and you're still <laughs> not getting your function back because now you're trying to raise your arm up and you're shrugging. So right. it's a seesaw battle back and forth, and it's tough because I'm on the camp of, I say, let's, let's get them moving early. I think I'm in, a, in the hands of a good therapist who's not over aggressive with them. We can get them moving early. We're not pushing through a ton of pain. It helps with their pain levels. It helps with their ability to control themselves at home with pain and and just some of their function. And we can educate them early on and stuff they can and can't do and stuff they should feel and shouldn't feel. And so otherwise they go six and sometimes 12 weeks uh, without any PT. And now they're in no man's land. They don't know what's good pain, what's bad pain, what they should be doing, what they should be doing, should not be doing. And they're only getting orders from maybe the PA or the doc in their post-op visits and they're confused. They come in confused. So I say get them into PT early, get them some easy motion going early. And um I know I've seen very good things happen after that. So for a small to medium sized tear, if we're talking a big tear, yeah, a different world, you know what I mean? I, that tissue it comes down to tissue quality and all that stuff. But, you know, in that small to medium sized tear, 50 year old, you know, I say get them going early. If they're 75, and they got a big tear and it's been going on for a while, you got to go really slow with those people. You know, let them sky down, let them get stiff. Right. You know? I,
0: I think that's a, a good thing. You said that actually, because I was going to ask that question. I was going to say, Does it doesn't matter who the patient is. Does yeah, it matter yeah. if they're older? Does it matter if they have poor tissue quality? Does it matter if they have a huge rotator cuff tear? Saying rotator cuff tear means nothing. Right? right? Like, just yeah. like, what do you do after a rotator cuff chair? Well, I mean, it depends on about, I don't know, I, I can think of 20 factors that would significantly change what I do, right? And there's probably right. even more, but just just, just thinking briefly. So um, what else? What about anybody else in the crowd? You guys have any other thoughts on this? I mean, I got a few things. I actually, this is the benefit of Zoom, right? I got like some slides up so I can like cite some articles, which we never do, <laughs> right? We just, <laughs> right. But what do you guys think? I was going to say just um, and I think the
2: hopefully the listeners kind of got this from what you said. But if you have a, a huge tear, those retail rates are enormous, right? But if you have a much right. smaller tear, the retail rates are much lower. So um, age is going to play a role, as you said. So if you have an older individual, obviously that you might want to be a little bit more careful. But I think the to- the size of the tear is going to be the biggest determinant, right, of the failure right. rate. So if we want to try to figure out how fast we push uh, range of motion, you probably want to go a little bit
0: slower with that person has a huge tear. Yeah. So I think it's size, tissue quality, and age, which you could argue all feed together, right? They're probably all related, but they, that definitely changes it. So think about it. So just in in this conversation, we've talked about how the techniques for rotator cuff have progressed a bunch, but then I think the first evolution of this is that we found like that re-tear rates didn't improve. And I think that scared everybody. Right. So what do the doctors say the doctors say, well let's let's slow down some of the range of motion And some of the research studies actually show that the retails happen in the first six to twelve weeks. So again, therefore the doctors say like well let's do nothing for six to twelve weeks. but it's, I think it's actually funny if you actually dig into the research a little bit and you actually to like really read the methodology of some of these things. I actually think doing that isn't like very helpful, if that makes sense. And I kind of go through this in some of my talks, but it was kind of funny in, in some of the studies that go over the retail rates. So like I have Miller and AJSM in 2011, they did no passive range for the first four weeks and they still had 22% fail in that period. Yeah. Right. So that, that wasn't very helpful. Right. Uh, I nodding JBJS 2013, they had immediate range of motion and only 10% fail. So what does that tell you? I mean, theoretically, if we're using the a, a, what is it? A equals B equals C kind of concept. Then you would say that that pass range of motion early would be helpful. Um, but I, I think as we get older and we learn a little bit more, Kim AJSM 14 kind of said immediate passive range of motion for small to medium tear had no failures. No passive range of motion for six weeks with a large tear still had 33% failures. So I I think what we're learning here is it's probably not (coughs) physical therapy. Excuse me. It's probably not the range of motion that we're performing, right? There's, I don't know. (coughs) excuse me there's probably like five six uh systematic reviews right now that kind of look at this it doesn't really show a difference in there but doctors are still conservative and i think the main thing is we should be conservative with the large tears i think i think we all should be conservative the other one thing anybody else have any i got one other thing i want to hit but anybody else have anything i don't want to just keep talking
2: i just have one thing i've learned from lenny and and mike especially as i've kind of gone through this is like we look at the retail rates and we look at like on a, on an ultrasound or something like that, like they're tearing, but then like the person's okay. They, their arm doesn't hurt. They're moving their arm pretty well, like six, seven, eight months down. And so like you got to just throwing a wrench in the gears, right? Like just because they have a retear on a clinical exam or in some sort of imaging, if they're doing fine, then who's to say that was an unsuccessful therapy. If they can move their arm well and they're back to their daily life, then it's like, Okay, and I remember Lenny like citing some stuff where people did great, but the retail rates were high under imaging. It's like, okay, well, what do we define as successful then? So that's just my two cents.
1: Right. Will that will that tear increase though over time? In two, three, four, five years, will that tear get worse? I think about fifty percent right. of those people, it may happen to. It seems like the research is saying forty to sixty percent. If you have a tear in your shoulder and it treated non-operatively for those people, it turns into a, a bigger tear. So I think it with the same concept would probably happen in somebody who has a, a repair shows re-tear do you want to be it's a 50 it's a coin toss is that is that tear gonna get worse over time so and the doctors say we don't want that we don't want that coin toss we want the odds That's, in our favor and I, I get it yeah. i fully get it
0: that sounds like fear-mongering Len. yeah <laughs> I, di- I dare you put that on instagram that that but people with tears will extend to worse tears over time which is i don't know <laughs> the journal of common sense Right. That's what right. I just like, post on Instagram, and, and, and <laughs> just
1: put that on Instagram like three too, days as ago. Well, so <laughs> right? just put that on I, Instagram. So full, I, lo- I, lo- I lo- it, lo- it. made me uh, think deeper about it too. I
0: I love the Instagram things that say, like, "Well, you know, I, having a tear doesn't mean you know they have symptoms or anything like that." Right? But man, I just I don't want a tear, <laughs> right? Do you yeah, want right. a tear? I don't no. want a tear. Let's, right. let's let's yeah. not keep uh, let's not keep snatching, right? Like that seems right. like a terrible idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is fresh from my. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, this is pretty fresh in my mind because I did a pretty big lit review on the rotator cuff recently. And uh, Dave is right with most of the research. The, the outcomes, a lot of the outcomes are insignificant differences between the ones that had failures and the ones that did. Um, I think the main thing that popped up is there's a difference in strength generally from what I found. So they are a little bit different. And then the last piece, like you said, the, the retail rates and whether or not that matters. And again, that probably comes down to the person's age and you know a lot of other factors. So that's, that's a tough
1: call. Listen, we can cherry pick the research. The doctors can find stuff for them. We can find stuff for us. Um, the way I usually, if people ask me this question, my one hour of rehab, two to three times a week, there's no way I am re tearing that rotator cuff with my three hours worth of total PT, maybe in a week compared to what, how many hours in a week? 24 times seven. That's like a lot of hours. Um, how is my three hours of rehab and education and all that going to really retear when, when the research is back and forth? We know it's back and forth. It's, it says PT is helpful and good. And then it, some say no. So there's so many different factors that you just blame PT. That's the way I usually sum it up to people.
0: All right. Fantastic leadway to my last point here. So looking at EMG <laughs> of the supraspinatus during functional activities, passive look, with two ends of the spectrum, passive range of motions, 5% EMG of, of the supraspinatus, right? Which I don't know. I, I wonder if you argue that's noise. I don't even know. Right. Or just there's something like you're just using a little bit on the other end of the Let's say, let's say full can, full can exercise with a weight, right? That's 73% uh, EMG activity. So there, there's our end range, right? Passive range of motions right down there. 5%. It's passive. It's passive, right? It's that's the name of it. So it's five percent. Pendulums right there. Do you know what's more than passive range of motion for EMG, the rotary cuff? Brushing your teeth, taking a bath, eating right? All those things. So I think that's a good thing with Len. There's, I don't think it's our passive range of motion. Now don't get me wrong. There are some stupid active range of motion activities you can do like a standing L bar, right? It's, or the walk up the wall. Why does every surgeon want you to walk (laughs) up the wall? That is just, that makes no sense. But like they say, that's a good exercise for range of motion when real estate passive range, some of the basic active range. But how about this? I'll, I'll end it with this one because this will get you thinking right here. There is more EMG activity of the rotator cuff when you open a heavy door with your other arm, yeah. your other arm. So you're healthy. You're in, a, you're in the big bracing. You open a door with your left. There's reciprocal EMG activity to help stabilize your. your probably your thorax, your, your scapulothoracic <laughs> joint. There's more EMG activity in opening a heavy door than there is doing passive range of motion. So I don't think our passive range of motion is what is is, is bothering people. So, okay, as a, weeks. Yeah, as a, so as a summary, I think we should say this because we should give good information here. We're pro-passive range of motion. We think there are maybe some active assist range of motion things you can do. But the older, the larger the tear, and the, the worse the tissue quality, the more conservative we are too. And believe it or not, I don't even know if that helps. They may tear anyway because because when those factors come in, they may tear anyway. So look, that doesn't mean you have to be rogue That doesn't mean you have to go argue with the surgeon that's sending you people That's going to never get you another patient from them again um, But like you should know some of this information that we can do some gentle passive range of motion you can do some pendulums in the early phases of rotator cuff repair And they're probably going to have better functional outcomes less pain and they'll be ultimately happier down the road So if you can get a physician that understands that that's a great person to work with Makes sense? Awesome. So good episode. I felt like I felt like we did that one, and we got we have a lot of good uh, advice on that one. So hopefully, you guys enjoyed that at home and learned a little bit about rotator cuffs and some of our current practices. Um, you know, it's questions like that. I think that you know the evolution of things, where even just in our short careers, we've seen things change over time. That I think are super helpful. So if you have another question like that, head to microworld.com. Click on the podcast link, and there's a big form you can fill out to ask us anything you want to talk about. We try to answer as many as we can. So keep them coming and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynell.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRenold.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.